Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue, and we're coming to you from the campus of Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Each year, young adults head off to college to advance their futures, but for some of them, college means the end, not the beginning. In an effort to better understand why so many college students commit suicide, Amanda Nadler wrote a paper on the subject and presented it to the University Honors College. The paper takes into account factors that can become predictors, buffers, and ways to intervene. We'll find out more after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. An automobile tariff study from MTSU's Business and Economic Research Center shows that the volunteer state's largest manufacturing sector would take a noticeable hit if President Donald Trump moves forward with threats to impose such sanctions on trade partners. The new global commerce study on the impact of automotive tariffs on the Tennessee economy looks at the impact on the Tennessee economy under a range of possible tariffs imposed on automotive imports. Study author Stephen Livingston notes that Trump has continued to threaten auto tariffs on some trade partners, including at this year's World Economic Forum in Switzerland. Livingston estimates that between 70,000 and 100,000 Tennesseans work in the auto industry in some capacity, with production value above $40 billion for the state's largest export sector. And MTSU professor Eric Klumpa is again providing fun and entertaining lectures during the Department of Physics and Astronomy series of Star Parties. Upcoming star parties include Stone Circles in Archaeoastronomy, March 20th, with Professor John Wallen, Astrophysical Shocks on April 3rd, with lecturer Nada Nasseri, and The Search for Water in the Solar System, May 1st, with lecturer Gregory McPherson. Star parties begin in room 102 of the Wiser Patton Science Hall. The free events are open to the public and the MTSU community, and children are welcome. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. One article you cite states the theory that suicide results from unbearable psychological pain. Therefore, some people don't really want to kill themselves. They want to kill the pain. Yes. What would cause that kind of pain in college students? Um, all sorts of things. Um, specifically, like loneliness is um, talked about a lot with um, your, the article you're referencing is Thomas Joyner's um, Interpersonal Psychological Theory. Um, and so specifically, um, he talks about thwarted belongingness so feeling like you don't belong to anyone or or anything or any group um and i think that's fairly prevalent in college students um that feeling of loneliness people being away from mother and father for the first time and all of a sudden they're part of this larger community where there might be a few people from their hometown there, but they really don't know most people, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a new setting and um, also a time where people are kind of just trying to find themselves and figure out who they are. And that can be really exciting, but can also be really distressful. Women uh, are more likely to try than men, but men are more likely to succeed. Mm -hmm. Why? Um. 
it's really hard to pinpoint one specific cause, but I think a lot of it has to do with lethality of the methods picked. So men are more likely to pick um, what the suicide community calls more violent methods. So like firearms and um, like jumping off of things, whereas women are um, more likely to pick more passive um, things like overdoses or cutting and things like that. Um, so that's one reason why. Um, I thought also one thing I came across in my research that was really interesting that I hadn't heard before was that um, it's considered more masculine to complete suicide and more feminine to attempt suicide, but not like complete it. Mm -hmm. So that was one other thought behind why men might but that might have more to do with Western concepts of, of masculinity than it does with the uh, the Asian concept of Harikiri, where the warrior uh, commits suicide because he feels he has disgraced himself or his family or his country. Yes, exactly. I think that's a really good point, that it is very much based on like Western ideals of masculinity versus femininity. One of your sources says that engagement in risk-taking behavior was a risk factor found uniquely in female college students. Mm -hmm. How so? You know, <laughs> are we talking about binge drinking or exactly what kind of risk? Um, also, I think that article was specifically referring to um, self-harming uh, behaviors. Cutting yourself? Exactly, which um, it's important to distinguish between like self-injury and suicidality just because a person is cutting themselves doesn't mean that they are suicidal even um but I'll, there's some research that shows that for some people cutting can actually be like a practice of mm -hmm. leading up to a suicide attempt and for some reason it, that's specific to women i'm not really sure why <laughs> it's a uh, issue for more study i yes, suppose definitely what did you find out about minority groups, such as African-Americans, Latinos, and Asians? For African-Americans, there were even more gender differences than for Caucasian um, students. So that was really interesting. Um, so, for example, with African-American students, um, they found that for men, for women rather, um, having more reasons to live was a better like protecting factor for them whereas for men it was like um how they felt about themselves like career success and things like that um and the thought behind that was that um african-american women are socialized into being more of like a caregiving kind of person nurturing yes if you have somebody who you can take care of, then you feel you'll be taking care of yourself in the process. Mm -hmm. uh, how about the LGBTQ community? You note that they have higher levels of substance abuse than their straight peers do mm -hmm. in college. Yes. Um, and I wrote about that a lot just because I found it to be, well, personally, just I identify as queer. So that's something that's really important to me. But also, um, 
there was a lot of like missing information. So I found that really interesting. But yes, um, there's more drinking with um, LGBT youth um, and college students. I think a lot of that has to do with, honestly, queer culture or or gay culture being really um, intertwined with drinking. Like the way that um, a lot of LGBT people find other LGBT people are through like gay bars and things like that. So I think that has a lot to do with it. And partying. Exactly. Yeah. And also, you, you, as you alluded, you didn't find a heck of a lot of research no. on this particular community and suicide yes. at, at college. Yes. And I found that to be very frustrating, especially in regards to um, transgender individuals. There was absolutely nothing really about them. Um, any research that I did find about LGBT um, people were specific to the LG and B, mm-hmm. but nothing about the T. <laughs> or and that doesn't even get into all the d- variations of um, gender nonconforming people too. So there's a lot of gap. And it's uh, curious to me that a great deal is being said nowadays about trying to help high school students mm-hmm. who self-identify as uh, LGBT or Q and help them avoid depression and suicide. But uh, and, and trying to help them at a, a younger age is obviously laudable, but relatively little is being said about the college community. Mm-hmm. A lot of the focus has been on bathroom access, which is very important. A lot of research showed that trans people or queer people in general feel more comfortable when um, there's bathrooms that they can access that aren't gendered. And there are several uh, bathrooms that have the particular sign on it that say it can be used by people of any gender. Yes. Uh, You don't have to worry about going into the men's room or the ladies' room and upsetting somebody or violating some sort of cultural norm. Right, exactly. And that can be something even just as simple as that can be a, a mitigating factor in making someone feel more secure and less likely to have suicidal thoughts. It's such a little thing, like you said, that can make a huge difference, but it takes very little work to make that happen. We'll take a break here. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The MTSU Department of Art has the newest facility for visual arts in the state with approximately 50,000 square feet of space, including high-tech computers and computer-driven equipment for multimedia, graphic design, printmaking, sculpture, painting, and ceramics. We feature a visiting artist lecture program and an exhibition program that exposes students to work by national and international artists. To find out more, visit mtsunews.com. The Concrete Industry Management Program at MTSU fills the need for trained personnel who know concrete technology and techniques. Our alumni go into the marketplace grounded in basic math and science and able to promote products or services related to the industry. Our participation in the academic common market ensures talented students in other states a chance to enroll on an in-state tuition basis. This is Dr. Heather Brown, director of the program. To find out more information on this or other university programs, visit mtsunews.com. We're talking with nursing student Amanda Nadler. She has written a paper on suicide in college. It's titled Suicide Ideation in College Students, a Review of Predicting Factors, Buffers, and Proposed Interventions. This was submitted to the University Honors College. 
explain to us or define for us, if you will, what each of these things are, predicting factors, buffers, and proposed interventions. Yes. Um, so predicting factors, it's kind of just what it sounds like, or things that you can identify as um, contrib- they can either contribute to risk or you can identify them in a person and say this person's at higher risk for suicide because they meet A, B, and C criteria. Um, whereas buffers are exactly the opposite. So even if someone meets all those criteria for someone who is deemed like at risk, um, if they have certain things in place, um, or they have certain situations or circumstances, um, they might still be less likely to die by suicide because of those buffers. Mm -hmm. And then interventions are just things that I suggested based on the research that I read as being, um, effective in helping to reduce suicide risk in the college body. Uh, Some people have discussed uh, allowing firearms on campus or even training professors in the use of firearms in response to active shooter incidents on college campuses. Virginia Tech comes to mind. Uh, There was one at Texas A&M Commerce recently, not College Station, but the Commerce campus in which uh, two people were killed and one was injured. What did you find out about firearms and suicide? Yes, um, what I thought was really interesting about that is generally we know that it's just common knowledge in the suicide community that if you have access to a firearm, you are three times more likely to die by suicide by firearm. Um, So the thought is that some of the reason why college students are actually less at risk to die by suicide versus people of the same age that aren't in college is because of the lack of firearm access on college campuses. So as far as um, suicide prevention efforts go, it would be better to continue to prevent the use of firearms on campus. Most universities have a no firearms on campus policy, don't they? They, I know MTSU does. Yes, most, I believe most public schools do. I'm not sure about private universities, but I'm pretty sure all public universities have that rule. But that wouldn't necessarily prevent someone from keeping a gun in one's car, in one's glove compartment, or under the seat, or something like that. Absolutely. You know, I'm trying not to get political about it, of Mm -hmm. course, um, especially since gun control is a very hot topic. Mm -hmm. I think that even if um, guns were allowed on campus, um, it would just be really important to educate people on how to safely be a gun owner. And I think that applies across the board, college students or not. Um, And that just means keeping your gun locked and making sure the ammo is separate from the gun and things like that and making sure it's not accessible to children, et cetera, et cetera. It's not like you have to make like steps to do it. And I think that's the big problem with the firearms and why they're so lethal. Guns in and of themselves are lethal weapons, but also it takes such a little time for you to pull a trigger and it be done. And the chances of you living through that aren't great. Whereas with an overdose, you have some time to think about it. It would be a little harder to do that impulsively because of the amount of medication you need to take. Um, And also, even after you've taken it, you have some time to think and maybe even ask for help if you decide to, whereas you don't have that chance with a firearm. You, If you have second thoughts you or buyer's remorse, you can call 911 and get your stomach pumped out if you do it uh, relatively quickly. Exactly. And also with uh, pills, 
uh, or a poison, you don't really know how much is enough in order to accomplish suicide. Mm -hmm. uh, you could take a certain number of pills and end up comatose for the rest of your life and mm -hmm. just unable to respond, but not dead. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it's a, a, a rather iffy proposition, it, whereas it's hard to miss with a gun. Absolutely. This is going to sound a little callous, but it, it's an extremely ineffective method. Right. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for that. What kind of uh, statistics are kept on college students and suicides or attempted suicides? Or is that uh, an area where the colleges are, are lacking when it comes to keeping records? Uh, so I can totally get on a soapbox about that. <laughs> but um, unfortunately, um, colleges are not keeping track of that. I think you know, we could get into a whole conversation about how colleges tend to be kind of business oriented. And so it's not really in their best interest to keep track of those because they may have to report it. And honestly, when parents are looking at colleges to send their kids to, they don't want to see, oh, you know, in the past year, this many kids killed themselves on campus. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of interesting. I think also it would be a really hard number just to give the colleges some credit. I think it would be hard to collect that information and it be accurate, especially uh, with a big commuter campus like MTSU, because you wouldn't even if you had a student that died by suicide off campus, you may not know that or the parents may be reluctant to share that information. But, yeah, unfortunately, um, I think in the state of Tennessee, I think TSU or no, it was UT is like the only college in Tennessee that collects that information. I was wondering about that because it seems to me that they could collect just numbers, you know, aggregate data of people who are registered as students who die by suicide, whether it's off campus or on. Mm -hmm. And then nobody would have to be embarrassed because names would not be revealed Absolutely. If, if parents didn't want that information to be uh, made public. But yet at the same time, they could use the statistics, at least internally, in order to uh, help devise plans for making the campus uh, a more welcoming place, an easier place to get help if you're in distress and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And I'm sort of wondering why that can't be done in, in some way or another. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think um Suicide prevention efforts are kind of futile if you're not collecting that information just because you have no way of knowing if your efforts are successful. So I, while I think suicide prevention efforts are great in and of itself, I don't know how helpful they are without that information. Mm -hmm. um, what kinds of support services can colleges offer to help create this culture of caring that you refer to in your paper? Um, I think a big thing is just talking about it, which I think MTSU does a pretty good job of. Actually, on my way over here, I saw like a, a poster about the warning signs of suicide. So I was kind of laughing myself about that. I was like, oh, good timing. Yeah. Um, so I think just making it something I know we talk a lot about just like exposure and breaking the stigma, but I and it's 
almost like beating a dead horse, but I think it's really important to talk about it and continue to talk about it and talk about it again. Um, I think training of our faculty and students is really important too. Um, I think that's a big thing. And also just making sure that we're not having punitive measures towards students that are sharing that they're having those thoughts. Unfortunately, there's a trend where students are kicked out of college mm-hmm. for vocalizing that they're suicidal, which and, is uh, crazy. <laughs> and attempted suicide, I believe, is a crime yes. in a good many states, is it not? Yeah, I mean, in some ways, I mean, hospitalization um, or like involuntary hospitalization, you're completely stripped of your rights. And um, there's actually an article that I just read yesterday that's showing that um, involuntary involuntary hospitalization actually increases people's suicide risk, which I thought was interesting. Because here you have just attempted to kill yourself for some other reason, some reason or other, it didn't work. And when you wake up from whatever, you'll find that you are in restraints, you've been strapped to the bed, doesn't exactly encourage you to want to live. Oh, definitely not. Yeah, it's not... um not not the most hopeful message, I think, to wake up from that. And um, a lot of the time, um, people are, are not treated very kindly in those situations. And I work for a psych hospital. I, I love what I do, and I think my job is great, but I think that there are some... Improvements that could be made? Yeah, just systematically. Not even at, at my specific hospital. I just think across the board, mental health needs to get better. We'll take another break here. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. Expanding Your Horizons is an annual hands-on science and math conference at MTSU for middle and high school girls. EYH enables girls to investigate careers in science and math and to talk with female leaders in those fields that are so essential to our nation's future. EYH also provides the girls with fun, hands-on activities and allows them to meet girls with similar interests. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte-Gross, EYH Director. For more information, visit mtsunews.com. The Experiential Learning Scholars Program at MTSU gives students a chance to go outside the classroom and obtain hands-on experience in their chosen fields of study. They'll have the opportunity to give something back to the community through service learning as they gain acceptance for graduate study. Students should be able to select EXL-designated courses from major requirements and general studies requirements to complete the 16 to 18 hours of EXL coursework. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Our guest is Amanda Nadler, who uh, has written a paper on suicide ideation in college students. She presented it to the University Honors College. How does it feel to be a a, a nursing student and an honors student at the same time? Did you feel like (laughs) did you you feel like you were like, well, totally overwhelmed at times? Like, oh, my God, how can I handle all this? For sure. Um, Thankfully, I. My bout with the Honors College ended right as my nursing program started. So all my requirements for the Honors Program were completed. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, before I started nursing school, I don't think I could have done them both at the same time. (laughs) Did you aspire from the beginning to be a psychiatric nurse? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, pretty much since um, I was in high school, I've always had a passion for mental health. um, But I really like nursing because I think it's very holistic in that you you know, you treat the person as a person. And um, I think 
psychiatry kind of focuses on disease processes, and I didn't love that so much. And in your position, you have to show compassion, I think probably even more so to the patients than nurses in other medical disciplines, because if the individual wants to live and there's some kernel deep down inside the person that still has hope, then that can only improve their physical condition. The mind and body connection is very important to overall health. Absolutely. How much farther do you have to go with your education and uh, where do you aspire to work when you graduate? Um, I'm in my fourth semester, so I have one more after this. And then That's a great question. I don't know, just in my undergraduate program now, so I still have to get my master's to ultimately do what I want to do. (laughs) So I'm not really sure what I want to do yet. Um, I think I might want to take a little break from mental health for a while just because I've worked in the mental health field for six years now, and I feel like I would like to kind of hone my skills regarding like medical interventions a little bit more. The great thing about nursing is everything that I've learned in the mental health field, I can absolutely apply and really ought to apply. <laughs> so you will be an RN or an LPN or RN, RN, RN BSN. Yes. <laughs> and you said you needed a master's to do what you ultimately wanted to do, mm-hmm. it, it, which would be what? Psychiatric nurse practitioner. So okay. that would be an MSN program. You'd have have to have a master's in order to to be qualified for that. Yeah, more so. I mean, you can do RN like psychiatric nurse. However, I don't love that role as much. With the nurse practitioner role, you can do counseling in addition to medication management, and that's what I really want to do. I feel like having medication management without counseling is not just not the type of treatment that I want to provide. Right. You you can't really uh, talk it out. And the, uh, the antidepressants that are being made today are so much more advanced than they were 20, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, the old uh, tricyclics that, <laughs> that made people's mouths dry are nothing by comparison to Zoloft and Prozac and all these other new drugs. Yeah, definitely. They're they're a lot better. I've seen it myself. I've been on medication like my whole life uh-huh. and have definitely seen the change over time and definitely like what I'm on now better than I did when uh-huh. I was younger. <laughs> so if, if you take this break after you graduate, then that would be just for your own mental health because you have to take care of yourself if you're going to be able to take care of others. Absolutely. Self-care is a huge thing for me. I am constantly finding new ways to take care of myself. And it's a challenge sometimes, especially with nursing school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, self-care is huge. And I'm always trying to do better with it. <laughs> we wish you well in all your future endeavors. And, and thank you for wanting to be a caregiver. It's a tough job. It's a lot of responsibility. And we need more of them. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Amanda Nadler. We'll be right back. The Middle East-centered MTSU seeks to promote greater understanding of the politics, history, and culture of this vitally important region of the world. Its mission includes the promotion of outreach programs and faculty research. The center sponsors lectures by Middle East experts and scholarly exchanges. We're especially pleased to offer a new interdisciplinary minor in Middle East studies with courses in Arabic and Hebrew. 
This is Dr. Alan Hibbard, Center Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The Middle Tennessee State University Women's Studies Research Series features compelling monthly talks on gender-related topics by faculty and graduate students. The series offers a chance to learn about research in progress and to chat with faculty in an informal setting. All lectures are free and open to the public and are held on the MTSU campus. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. Jimmy Hart has the middle moment. As part of its 2020 Black History Month observance, MTSU screened a documentary that explores one of the most disturbing and violent aspects of that history, the impact and legacy of lynching. A special screening of the documentary, Always in Season, was held in the James Union Building recently, followed by a Q&A with independent filmmaker Jacqueline Olive. It's important because lynchings impacted the entire country, the impacted entire communities, not just the families of the victims. They were terrorism for black people in very obvious ways. Um, they were a message, often the bodies were left in the black community, um, as a message not to step out of line and this is what could happen. Um, but they were also uh, impactful for white people, even those who came out to attend the lynching. Even when they came out to cheer the violence on, they had to live with the smell of burning flesh, the images and the screams of people dying, the fact that their neighbors and people in authority were present. Um, and the consequences are passed on from generation to generation when we don't look at it. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.